You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. So, hello, welcome to this podcast. I'm Chris Paul. I'm a partner of Trowers and Hamlins, and I head up the cross departmental energy and sustainability team. Uh, this is a first in a series of podcasts looking at the impact of net zero. 2050 and the future home standard on heating uh, and we have it on the general heading of the future of heating uh, and in this episode we're going to focus on the f- future of gas uh, the the impact of the forthcoming changes to the building regulations and the future home standards uh, that are coming in in 2025. I'm joined today by uh, Martin Bridges the technical director at Worcester Bosch uh, and Martin you've been in the industry uh, forever it seems a, you know, a long heritage. <laughs> 42 years and that's as uh, I was reading one of your biographies, you know, as a, an apprentice um, on installations yeah. and then into the business that became Worcester Bosch fairly yeah. early on. Yeah, I was a heating engineer for about eight years and joined Worcester when I was 23, 24, something like that. And I've uh, been there for, this is my 35th year there, so I've seen a few changes there. Well, uh, quite. And, and obviously you've seen the, you know, the, the focus on gas boilers becoming more efficient Indeed, over yes. time. So, yeah. uh, so this you know, perhaps isn't an unusual uh, area for you to look at. And you, you sit on a variety of, of, of sort of industry panels and, and technical panels. Yes, I do, yes. I chair the boiler technical panel for the Heating and Hot Water Information Council. That's the sort of leading trade association for gas boiler manufacturers. Uh, and I uh, sit on the board of the CIPHE, which is an installer trade association. Uh, as well as Oftech, which is an oil firing technical association, which is facing much the same problems or, or uh, targets that gas is in decarbonisation terms. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you've perhaps been involved with bees in, in looking at how policy is shifting yes, uh, in the sector. Yeah. Um, and they've obviously got, got a, been doing a lot of work and there's a lot of change coming into the sector. Yes. Uh, I mean, before we look at some of the details, I thought it would be useful just to sort of rehearse for listeners um, you know, where net zero has come from and, and the impact of net zero and the, and the building regulations. So looking back sort of some, in the summer last year, um, we set as a government uh, the uh, legally binding targets for 100% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2050 and sort of implementing the Committee on Climate Change's recommendations. That's obviously had a big impact on lots of different sectors, but, but really shaken the energy industry, do you think? Oh, very much, yes. Uh, um... It's nice to know where we're heading because there was some ambiguity about it. And I can think back to 2016 when we had a target then of net zero carbon homes by 2016. And that was right in the middle of the recession. So the then Chancellor of the Exchequer um, scrapped that. They couldn't really build the volume of houses required to the efficiency levels of that target. So it's... uh, it's now back to where we were almost of 2016. But of course, the, the target includes the more harder to hit, uh, which will be existing properties as well. So uh, yeah, it's, um, it's almost who can outdo each other at the moment, who can bring the target forward the quickest, really. And what sort of you know, a policy shift like that, as you say, it flags clear direction. Yes. But it must have a big impact on a, on a manufacturer like, like Mr Bosch. It does. Um, We're part of an international group and not all the other countries that uh, our international group trades in has the same far-reaching targets. Ultimately, they probably will, but as an example, 
some of the southern Europe countries only went into condensing boilers in 2015 and in the UK that came in in 2005 as a legal requirement so there are some countries 10 or 15 years behind in terms of CO2 uh, and that's a difficult one for a large organisation to not just acknowledge but also to know where to put their money as well hmm. but thankfully the UK market is a very large probably the largest in the world boiler market. So uh, we are well supported by the Bosch Group. I mean, it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, you know, we, we have taken the majority of our heat from, from gas for a long time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, how many sort of homeowners are connected to gas grids, you know, approximately? Uh, there's roughly 23 million homes connected to the gas grid. Um, there is about 136,000 miles, apparently, of pipe work under the ground. Um, with a public asset value of £40 billion. So it wholly makes sense to not just turn it off and let it rot under the ground, to, to utilise it going forward as well. So yeah, we have a wonderful infrastructure uh, of gas, the envy almost of the world. Even countries you know, which are perceived as uh, very fast and forward like Germany, they don't have that type of stretch or reach that our gas infrastructure has. And, and, I, and I guess we've continued investing in that infrastructure and renewed it and, and, and spent yeah. money even, even up to recently. Well, we're about 60% of the way through a, a pipe work removal programme. That's probably the wrong expression, but they are replacing all the steel, cast iron and other materials of pipe under the ground and renewing it with the yellow polyethylene looking pipe that you see um, when you're generally stuck in a traffic jam because there's a temporary roadworks just for this sole purpose. So it's due to finish in 2032, so every section of pipe under the ground would be then suitable for the transmitting or, or rather carrying hydrogen gas to homes rather than the present methane gas that it currently does. So it would be more future-proof. Um, yeah, indeed. I mean, yeah. Looking to the future, we've obviously had uh, a lot talked about the uh, the future home standards. You know, you, you know, the government haven't started consultation on it yet, but we've had some information about what's coming in 2025, and I think consultation is due to start 2024, which seems quite late. Yes. You know, the, the impact of that is, is a significant change. I mean, it, there's some talk of 75 or 80% less carbon emissions than current standards uh, for the future home standard. That's the big step change that's coming. It's huge, isn't it? Yes, it's some 75-80% over a 2013 building regulation approved house. And it's obviously tough and it's going to impact upon house builders and specifiers, etc. But it is the one place that you can do it. You have a blank canvas, so you start from scratch. You can build the heating system, in our case, to the right flow and return temperatures that low temperature heating, low carbon heating requires. Build walls of the right thicknesses, the air tightness and things like that. It is the right place to hit with a far-reaching target like we have to. Existing properties provide a bit more of a challenge, unfortunately, because you are inheriting uh, a very old building. And I understand that 80% of the properties in the UK were built before 1960. So whilst there have been some improvements by certain householders, they're still you know, fairly low in, in, in uh, efficiency terms. So that's going to be the big challenge. You know, it's less about the new build, it's more about your existing stock and what, what's possible. Yeah, I think we're, obviously, we're... 
uh, renowned for being a gas and an oil boiler manufacturer, but we, we make every technology. We make heat pumps and solar thermal and various other things. So we are quite accepting of new build properties moving away from gas-fired boilers to heat pump systems. There will be quite a behavioural change required of customers and end users. We are a funny bunch when it comes to heating. We, we quite like to come in from the cold and put our backside against a hot radiator and feel the warmth. And You don't get that with low temperature heating. You get a cooler radiator or an underfloor heating system and that is not always accepting of some people. They, they want hot panels here, there and everywhere. Mm. So it, the challenges, there are two challenges, several, but the, the two hot, tough ones would be uh, finding heat pump installers. There's only about 21, 22,000 heat pumps presently installed annually in the UK. And there's nearly 1.7 million boilers. So the majority of the installers out there are boiler installers, really. Mm. Uh, there are very few, relatively speaking, heat pump installers. So you'd be talking of an era of you know, significant retraining and Indeed. apprenticeships and yeah. building supply chains. Yeah, very much. Yeah, I think that, that, that really is a tough challenge. I, it was an interesting remark made by one of the, the unions uh, when looking at the Labour Party manifesto for the recent election. They had set a, a carbon zero target of 2030, which is very tough even, indeed. Even closer over the horizon. Gosh, yeah. yes. And uh, one of their targets was to fit 8 million heat pumps between now and 2030, should they get into power. And the head of this union said, quite rightly, there's not enough heat pump installers in the world to do that, never mind in the UK. So, uh, yeah, to move from where we are, 20-ish thousand heat pumps a year, if we go to virtually every new build property, which is on district heating, we'll be moving nearer to 200,000 heat pumps a year, if that's the way that the industry goes. So we need 10 times almost the amount of installers that we presently have. Yeah, within five years. Indeed, yeah, uh, within five years, yeah. So we know the government's clocked this, this issue, um, this step change to the future home standards. We've got this interim um, uh, consultation on changes to the building regulations to part, part L. Yeah. Part L. Um, yeah. And obviously there's, a, there's, there's two options on there. Uh, option one, which is fabric, which is the 20% reduction in carbon emissions, and option two, which is the 31% uh, carbon emissions. And option two is, is uh, as I understand, less fabric and more technology uh, to achieve that target? Y yes, you can achieve it with less fabric. Uh, it requires, one of the suggestions was on-site generation from solar PV, which, uh, you know, it's a wonderful technology. It, the notional buildings within SAP still suggest you can achieve this with a gas-fired boiler, but some of the house builders and specifiers I've spoken to are likely to move fairly promptly to heat pumps if they are building to that regulation. Mm. Uh, a heat pump with its sap ratings and uh, various other efficiencies it can achieve uh, would romp through the 31%, therefore preventing or not needing solar PV uh, on-site generation. Right, so you know, it's possibly a cheaper option than, than you know, yes, more, it, more, it, more complex. Yes, it likely would be, yes. Um, that consultation's live, I think it was extended to 7th of February, so yeah. um, I guess the industry is responding to it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But but clearly, notwithstanding the government's intention to try and soften the the, the change, that that is actually going to result in a a, a need to ramp up, um, you know, new installers, new skills. For yeah, the yeah. I think 
They acknowledge that this is a really good industry, though. We have a very close communication and relationship with installers. Manufacturers do the bulk of the training and skilling of installers once they've been through their apprenticeships. I saw a figure recently that some 70% of all the training installers continue to undertake is, is through their A manufacturer or their favoured manufacturer. Right. So I think uh, rapid moves into new technologies, they're an issue for everybody of course, but this industry is very good uh, and that was remembered from the 2005 change where standard efficiency boilers were outlawed so to speak and condensing boilers only and that was a pretty smooth transition for a relatively complicated thing to do so it, we have history here we've done it before i i'm under no illusions we can do it again but i just have if i have a reservation it'll be consumer behavior how they adapt to heat pumps. Right. Um, many consumers, in fact there are some 17 million homes in the UK that have a combination boiler installed, so we're quite used to instantly heating the water that we use with no hot water storage cylinder being required. A heat pump will require a hot water storage cylinder, so you can't run water endlessly like you can do with a combi. There will be, uh, I'm sure it will be managed correctly, the cylinder will be sized appropriately, but you have to wait for the cylinder to heat up, of course. So probably an issue for landlords going forward is, is an education of, of tenants and getting people to understand how the yeah. systems actually work. Yes, it will be. And, and as a manufacturer, we've been selling heat pumps since 2006. And it is uh, certainly one of, the, uh, one of the areas we spend most time on is explaining to consumers how and what to expect from a heat pump. They don't get the same sort of experience that you know, they presently get with a gas or an oil-fired boiler. Yeah. It is a lower temperature of heating. It virtually runs all the time. You turn it on and just let it go. Uh, I explained it once to a consumer. I said, it's rather like a fridge running backwards. Uh, to which he said, well, I don't even know how a fridge works going <laughs> forwards. <laughs> but you literally do turn it on and then let it go. And on cold nights, it's not unusual for it to turn on at two or three o'clock in the morning because it can't handle really extremes. It needs to trickle it's more heat of constant load. all the time. Yeah, it's interesting. But obviously, you know, when you read the consultation on the changes to Part L, you know, there's very much a focus on electricity. And yes. I think that's driven by the fact that we've we've decarbonized the electricity yeah. grid. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, there's not much mention of gas in there. Was that a disappointment to, to the business? Uh, yes, it is really. I think some of the electricity decarbonisation figures uh, that they use are rather flattering. Last night was a good example. Um, the carbon intensity of electricity was around 80%. Uh, today's January the 22nd, so the evening of the 21st, and it wasn't especially cold. It was zero-ish, but not minus 10 or something like that. So it was a still night, there was very little wind, certainly no solar of course. So when it actually you require the heat, um, the carbon intensity of electricity is better than it was, but it's certainly nowhere near some of the figures I've seen banded around. And in fairness, I suppose some of the figures being used and the seemingly lack of acknowledgement of gas is how we presently are today. Gas is virtually all methane. There are sometimes 
biogases added to it from anaerobic digestion systems. So there is a, a tiny percentage in certain supplies. But yeah, the, the actual figure for gas is probably about right as it is. But should hydrogen come along, then that would zero that pretty pretty rapidly. Uh, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about new homes, but obviously it's, it's the existing stock, it's the retrofit challenges yes. that are going to be really significant. And, you know, of course, if everybody switched overnight to electricity, we wouldn't cope as a country anyway. The grid's not there. Well, somebody uh, told me we would need the equivalent of 30 Hinkley Point power stations if we electrify everything, cars and heating and hot water systems. We can't build one of those at the moment. Uh, being an international business, I've got colleagues in the Netherlands and they have blackouts there because they very rapidly moved away from boilers to heat pumps and other alternatives last year. And, you know, in the out in the sticks, so to speak, in the villages, the electricity system can't cope with the heating demands, so they, they lose their power. So to switch, switch wholesale the country to electricity, it, we, we're not right and ready for it yet. Uh, and also, I can't imagine some of the customers I speak to taking it lying down that you somebody's going to come in and insist that they remove their tiny little boiler and replace it with a significantly larger internal unit of a heat pump. Uh, and water storage. Yeah. Water storage and, and larger radiators and larger pipework diameters. Um, heat pumps are a wonderful technology, but to inherit an existing system which was so sized for high temperature heating won't work very well. You really? either have to insulate the home significantly to make the radiators be uh, large enough to warm the rooms up on this lower temperature or change the radiators. It's interesting, there's been um, some projections by the government um, looking at the cost for new homes yes. you know, of changing technology, but we haven't had similar sort of visibility for existing homes. And No, in fact there's been, I believe there is a, a part L for existing homes being uh, a draft proposal being published quarter one of this year. I was expecting it before Christmas, but I haven't seen it. I've seen uh, the draft proposals for the Scottish building regulations for existing properties, and they uh, their proposal is to work on energy ratings of properties using the EPC, and the particular part of that, the energy efficiency rating within the EPC. They're suggesting a band of C for existing homes from 2024 onwards, uh, the trigger point for raising your home to a level of C from D or E or whatever it is would be the sale of the property or a large extension of the property. And it was in the proposals, it is the seller of the property, if it's a sale, who has to raise it to a level of C or the buyer and he would probably negotiate a cheaper price for the property mm. and then have to do it that way. So quite quite unheard of measures before and I can't personally see how else how else it can happen unless we wait for some silver bullet to come along like hydrogen. Yes. So if we can green the current gas grid to zero carbon, then we wouldn't have to do those type of measures. And I guess we'd have the same benefit as greening the, the electricity grid. You know you can yes, you can then ad adapt existing technology to work with a with a greener source of, of fuel. Indeed. I mean, some of the practicalities, I mean, there's lots been talked about hydrogen, hydrogen for, for vehicles, yeah. you know, hydrogen for, for heating. 
there's obviously some heritage here that we had a, a more hydrogen-based system going back in the past. Yeah, Towns Gas was uh, 50% hydrogen. Uh, we converted throughout the late 60s, I think we finished in about 1975. There was about 7 million homes then connected to the gas grid. Today we have 23 million, so right. logistically it's far more of a challenge. I think the name's slightly scary as well to some people. Hydrogen have memories of airships and things like that exploding. But it is a, a very safe, uh, it's, it's a wonderful alternative to methane. Significantly safer with respect to there is no carbon in it. So there's no carbon monoxide and no carbon dioxide. Right. So monoxide is the killer. Carbon dioxide is the uh, ozone-eating side effect almost from burning gas. So we don't get any of that. The main result of burning hydrogen is water vapour. So more, more, more uh, condensation. More condensation. We're going to get 25-30% more condensate being created from a hydrogen boiler when compared to natural gas. The only danger with that, of course, is we could end up perhaps with more condensate pipes freezing if they've been installed externally or not insulated, etc. But um, a, a small uh, issue compared with the overall uh, win you would get from such a technology. And, and you know, looking at you know people's current boilers, boilers that, that are being manufactured today. I mean, how easy would it be for them to cope or, or, or be modified to cope with hydrogen? Virtually all premix boilers today, uh, that's more or less everything on the market in domestic terms, can cope with around 20% hydrogen. Uh, and that's being trialled at the moment at Keele University. They have a campus there with, I think it's 141 boilers on site. Um, many of them are Worcesters, many of them are Valence and so on. Uh, but a good mixture, they've all been looked at and uh, they are running as we speak on 20% hydrogen with no difference, no change, no surprises either from my perspective. We could run the entire country, I guess, on a 20% blend of hydrogen, but really we're not going to hit this net zero carbon target. Even if we added a heat pump, let's say, to an existing boiler, that still wouldn't give us the net zero we need. So the only, the easiest way, it's not the only, but the easiest way, I guess, the less disruptive of all the ways to get there would be to have a, a gas which has no carbon in it whatsoever. And, and of course, hydrogen happens to be that. So move to a sort of 100% hydrogen grid is, is the end goal? Yes, um, I guess you could take it in stages if, if necessary. But um, all the existing boilers today, without change, without modification, will run on 20%. Once you go over that, let's say 25, 30%, current boiler wouldn't really work very well on that level so you're now into a bespoke hydrogen design boiler the flame speed of hydrogen is about three times the speed of methane so in layman's terms if you when you ignite the flame it's trying to burn back down the pipe so you have to counterbalance that in our case with a premix burner and a fan and you have to get the right airflow to make the sweet spot of the flame just sit on the burner and give us the right combustion, right NOx levels, not right heat output as well. And I guess that's been the focus of you know the R and D is, is, yeah. is just getting that right. It is yes. It, it, the all of the R and D work is on the combustion of hydrogen. The hydraulics, the water-based stuff is all the same as natural gas boilers. The ignition of the flame is slightly different as well. The sensing of the flame is probably uh, the most challenging because 
currently when we ignite a natural gas flame to sense that the flame has actually light is, is a light rather and maintain the gas valve being open we send an electron flow through the ions of the natural gas flame from one probe to another if there's no flame the electron can't pass from one probe to the other and the safety system shuts it all off with a hydrogen system though there is no carbon in the flame so it won't allow you to pass electricity right. through it so we sense that the flame is a light and this is another thing it's an invisible flame as well so we can only sense that the flame is a light with there's a couple of ways you could do it we're doing it with a uv cell but you could have done it with an old-fashioned thermocoupled device which would sense that there is heat there and then maintain the, the gas valve being open um, but you want speed, really, when you have a combi boiler, you turn on a tap, you want hot water as quickly as you possibly can. Yes. Uh, so a UV cell afforded us that. So, yeah, um, we can run hydrogen to a degree on everything what is out there, um, but to really achieve our goal, we're going to have to change boilers to hydrogen bespoke boilers. And I guess that's where our design uh, comes into its own, because we've, we've designed a hydrogen boiler uh, which can run on natural gas and it can run on natural gas all its life if methane if uh, hydrogen never comes along it wouldn't matter at all it will be it will see its life out 15 years whatever the life of them typically is and so is this the sort of concept of the hydrogen ready it uh, is applied? so through natural wastage through natural 1.7 million boilers a year being changed because they they've had it they've done their life if a hydrogen-ready boiler was installed instead onto the natural gas supply and one day the government do decide, yes, hydrogen's a thing, if they were to decide that tomorrow, it would probably be 15 years before we actually start receiving hydrogen down the pipe. But in that period of time, by natural attrition, not with any special purchases, not without prematurely throwing away a two-year-old boiler, you'd have populated over 10 years, 17 million homes with a hydrogen ready boiler. So when hydrogen is available, uh, in our case, a conversion would take place and it's, a ha well, it's three components, burner, a gas valve, and a tiny little code plug, which drives the printed circuit board and an hour of an engineer's time. And we've now got a boiler ready to run on hydrogen without having to throw away something prematurely or... And, and it's much more like it was when the, you know, the, the turnover to North Sea gas, you know, it's a... Yes, you could exercise. convert uh, Towns gas appliances to natural gas. Unfortunately, you can't convert natural gas appliances of today to hydrogen, but you could convert a hydrogen-ready... You, you know, if you've, done, confusing, if you've done your homework and got ready for it, yes, it's going to be le yeah. less, of a, less of a step change. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously concerns on hydrogen. Where does the fuel come from? Um, you know, are yeah. we creating hydrogen cleanly? And, and presumably it's, a, it's possible through you know, using renewable energy to, to be creating hydrogen it, it that is, way. Yeah, yeah the, whether we'd ever get the bulk that we require is, uh, is unlikely. Virtually every hydrogen project I've seen works off steam reformation. There is an interesting project taking place in Scotland, in Levermouth, in Fife, where Scottish Gas Networks have an electrolyzer there. They're converting, or they're allowing, some 300 householders to opt in or out of having a hydrogen uh, gas supply. 
So side by side virtually down the street, they're putting a hydrogen pipe in, connecting it to an electrolyzer. The electrolyzer is run off offshore wind. So it's a really good story, this one. Uh, but to run 23 million homes from that type of supply isn't going to happen. It's not scalable, yeah. No, so we need steam reformation of methane and carbon capture use and storage at that point of production where we capture the carbon and bury it. And, and uh, you know, as I understand, the government's keen to, to push that technology again, having flip-flopped on it slightly. Um, yes, yeah, I think they've seen, whether we were influential with it, I'm not sure, but we've had so many politicians, so many civil servants see the boilers working. There's so much more. It's very compelling when you see something actually in operation and everything feels the same. So I think we may have had a, a small impact there and uh, civil servants and various other scientific advisors of the government have seen the potential for this uh, and seen also that this would probably be the least of all the disruptive technologies into an owner-occupier property. Because I guess, you know, if your, your hydrogen fuel boiler will work with hydrogen, then your, your existing systems, your, your radiators will. can all stay the same. It will, and that, that's a huge benefit, that high temperature heating that we presently enjoy with boilers will be exactly the same from a hydrogen-fed boiler. So yes, you wouldn't have to upgrade new radiators, pipework, and all the expense and redecoration and all those types of things which go with it. I'm sure for a, you know, a number of our, our landlord clients, they'll be very, very pleased to hear that as an opportunity. Yes, yes. Really, it's summing up. It's been a fascinating discussion, and obviously, you know, getting your your viewpoint and the viewpoint of the business uh, into the sector is really good. Clearly, a period of significant change. You know, is is there sort of one message you you'd give to to people out there that they should perhaps be thinking about? Um, I don't think there's anything we could advise them to do differently to what they're doing today at the moment. I have had a number of local authorities ring me in light of the recent sort of publicity that hydrogen seems to have attracted. And they are asking to future-proof their housing stock with boilers that are suitable for a 20% blend of hydrogen. Whether that's more of a, I don't know, perhaps a a pioneering move or or, um, wanting to look green, I'm unsure. But if you were to buy a boiler today and just carry on replacing the boilers you have, you you essentially are future-proofing yourself to a 20% blend of hydrogen without even attempting to. Mm. But I'm... I've yet to see the government or BAYS, the department uh, in charge of this, suggest that 20% is, is going to be enough. I, I know they're trialling it at Kiwi University, but I, I really everything I've heard is they're going to go to the very end goal of 100% because that will hit everything they, they need. So not sure if, they, if I could advise that anybody does anything different to what they're doing today until we hear some more information. We as a business um, are trying to influence the government as much as we can along with the industry as a whole to put a date somewhere in the future mid 2020s that only hydrogen ready boilers should be put onto the market from some date Mm. and that way this natural wastage of existing boilers you will populate homes in readiness for it Um, that seems to be a sensible approach so i guess that you know the the end result is you know look to the government for some direction on this point Yes, they uh, intend to publish a technology road map in the summer. Um, I don't know how prescriptive it will be, but hopefully that will narrow down the options they they presently have and give us some indication of what both your clients and, and our customers can uh, 
suggest they do. I, I think that would be very helpful. Uh, Martin, it's been fascinating. Thank you very much Thank for your you. time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll be doing a, a, a series of other podcasts looking at, at heat pumps in particular and heat networks. So uh, I hope that will be uh, of use to listeners as well. Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.